Striving for mediocrity in a world of excellence, this is The Chaser Report. Welcome to The Chaser Report. We're still doing our best of interview week. It is New Year's Eve, Friday the 31st of December 2021. And if you have no plans for tonight, we have a bumper interview with not one but two guests back to back. That's how we did it on the day. I don't know why we did that. But wow, we did. okay. Uh, yeah, right. But you remember the interviews. The first yeah, one was with uh, Craig Rucastle talking about the movie that he directed this year because he's, you know, so productive. It's called The Big Deal. And it's still available on iView. So if you want to see it, you can actually still see it on ABC iView. It's all about how political donations are ruining our politics and uh, Christian Van Voren, the Bondi hipster, is the star of that. Craig directed it mm. and it's a fun chat. But then if that's um, if that's not depressing enough, <laughs> the IPCC report, the report that dropped this year that told us oh. that basically our climate was going to hell. Ketan Joshi is an expert in these matters. And I actually found his chat with you, Charles, because mm. it was just you, Quite optimistic, given the mm. subject matter. Like, he had reasons for, for hope. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I walked away. I, I thought it was going to be one of those, oh, everything's fucked. But actually, there, there's glimmers of hope. And, and part of it's just about, you know, if you look at what we've done in the last five or six years, it shows that we can actually, we can turn the corner. We just need to decide to do it. Well, oh, I, was, I was equally excited after that interview, but mainly because I didn't have to read the whole thing. Yeah, Kevin, <laughs> giving us a beautiful summary. It was very convenient. A lot can happen in three years, like a chat bot but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, so Craig, you've done a film. Yes, I have. I've directed a film, bizarrely. A bit of a uh, big deal to direct a film. It was. Although, yeah, look, you say that. <laughs> it's extremely time-consuming and painful. Like, it's just <laughs> an absolute gut-wrencher. So did you did you have this image that Steven Spielberg just, you know, becomes director, it's a few days' work, and then Star Wars gets produced or whatever? Is that is that what you imagined directing was? The problem is this, right, is that Steven Spielberg is in the edit suite um, of the movie that Steven Spielberg has shot, right? But you see, when I'm in the edit suite trying to edit it, it's been shot, you know, directed by me, and that's just oh, the real no. size. Like, you know, <laughs> You're going, where's the coverage? We don't have the shot for that. Somebody should have yeah, thought exactly. of this. Shots for this. Yeah. Why do we do this? <laughs> Thankfully, Christian Van Vuren is brilliant, so he could always provide something. But, you know, just me cleaning up after myself the whole time. <laughs> so what, what, what is it about? What's the film about? It is about um, democracy and it's about money and politics and influence and all of that kind of stuff. It starts as somebody you may know, actually. Uh, it, Sam Dastiari is in it. And, and it is, it's interesting, like... Oh my I god! Just, did he, did he tell you that you were being recorded when when you interviewed him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He told me. Yeah, that was the great thing about doing recording with Sam Dastyari is that mm. you like, oh, if the audio guy stuffs up, the yeah. Chinese government will have this. We'll yeah. <laughs> like, be able to get a backup file. And ASIO will have another. Yeah, backup. yeah, and ASIO yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> But it's it's actually interesting. I like literally last night. I had a kind of you know a chat with lots of people who'd seen the film for the first time, and in the kind of online chat, the comments from people coming through, people were like just I can't believe how honest Sam Dastiari is about it. Like because he just <laughs> yeah. kind of it's not a word that you associate with Sam Dastiari. Honestly, this is the great yeah. thing about Sam is that ironically he's like so honest. He just lays out everything kind of yeah. really truthfully about how it works because he's he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it, and he's obviously <laughs> trying to lie in some other way, but he doesn't realize 
realised that that's the bit he should have been lying about. It's great. <laughs> no, but he, he, is, he is fantastic, actually. He's like, it's, you know, you do these really long interviews. This is what kills you about making a documentary movie. And he just likes really long interviews and you've got to cut them down to small bits. And Dastiari, there was just so much gold. It was actually really important. It was so hard to actually fit it in. Because the, the thing about Sam Dastiari, for people who don't, know who he is is he was in the thick of ALP politics for many many years he actually ran the New South hmm. Wales arm he knows where of the, the Labor bo- Party bodies are buried because he was the one who yeah, well, shot them yeah because yeah. he was the one burying all the bodies and then he yeah. became a senator and then he just committed a bit of light treason and um, and, and then because he got <laughs> so jettisoned by that whole institution he's now able to speak honestly about it it's an extraordinary yeah. arc but, but it's, it is interesting because he was like the, the, the biggest fundraiser the Labor Party's ever had and essentially you know the thing with Sam is he's quite a brilliant guy so you know he's put in charge of fundraising he just absolutely nails it but then Mm. just to hear him talk (laughs) about that process is just it's quite frightening is it a depressing movie? No. Well, this is the interesting thing about like it. What we filmed this over a period of kind of in and out of lockdowns and all this kind of stuff. And the first part of like the first several months was all the kind of filming the problem of money and politics and the influence and all this kind of stuff. And it got really depressing, to be honest. It was actually quite fundamentally depressing. But we ended up also filming some other parts, which kind of looked at, I guess push back against this, things like the voices for movements or different kind of movements or different communities that kind of kind of stood up and pushed back against things and it became really like at the end I was in tears but just because it was really uplifting actually uh, so there's kind of there's both it's kind of there's depressing parts as mm. Sam just, Sarah just lays out how everything happens and you kind of see how just normalized all this stuff is actually and mm. then there is kind of there's a bit of uplifting stuff as well but yeah I don't know it's it's it, it was also it was amazing doing it though as well because doing a movie about democracy in Australia and one of the problems with it like kind of money and influence in this the hardest part of it was that there were so many other scandals dropping about different other parts of how <laughs> shit our democracy is we kept having to go no no focus focus we can't cover all of the shit bits of our democracy at once we literally only have several hours to do it <laughs> so are you going to run for office now that you've seen uh, how it works from the inside oh god no, it's, this is the thing it's kind of it's depressing and it, what I think is fascinating about it is that a lot of politicians hate it too like they don't want it and this is what's the, the kind of the uplifting part about it is because a lot of the change has to come some of the change can come from outside but a lot of the change has to come from within politicians making changes and that has happened at times like different states have made great changes to laws and tried to fix this a little bit it hasn't always fixed it you know but it's made step changes in the right direction and that's because there are lots of politicians in each party that hate this kind of fundraising and this kind of bullshit and this kind of influence so there is you know it's not like all the politicians love this stuff you know there is a kind of hope you could get positive change here. Well, the the Liberal Party ran in the last election on the platform of setting up a, a national integrity commission. <laughs> so clearly <laughs> they're on board. How's that going? What happened? What happened yeah. with that? Oh, look, it's just a bit of a delay. <laughs> Now's not Sorry. the time. No, they, to talk no, they set up the commission, but before they set up the commission, they needed to make sure everybody in the commission had a place to park, and so they yeah. had to <laughs> a car park. Yeah, yeah they had to make <laughs> yeah. a few car parks happen. <laughs> okay, you know, it's a little step. 
steps. Yeah. Little steps. Well, they did actually, like the actual kind of plan they put out for a National Integrity Commission basically seemed to predominantly protect the politicians and everyone else got in trouble. It's like, yeah, I don't think that's what we were really calling for, guys. Um, might want to wrap that up a bit. So, yeah. like, I mean, full credit to them for losing so many ministers without a proper National Integrity Commission. But did you find out, Craig, did McDonald's pay for the product placement in ScoMo's rumour? Because that <laughs> would have guys, been a lot man, of money. So behind, you're always making these, these in-getting jokes. He has gone on to Carl and Jackie O and denied it, guys. And there is mm. no higher journalistic source of course you know if he got if he was lying he would have been called you can lie to parliament but you can't lie to kyle and jackie exactly exactly (laughs) and also because kyle you know kyle is an expert on the topic like he is actually the expert on this if you think about it you know if you're going to go to carrie brown and lee sales the expert on politics there you know but when it comes to uh, the question of being a piece of shit uh (laughs) kyle sandler's is the expert on that so yeah (laughs) can't argue with that the the movie is uh is, is it's Following Christian Van Vuren from the Bondi Hipsters, and he is just lovely and wonderful and singing. And why him? Cool. Why? Well, he was well. It's kind of you know. Firstly, he was kind of he wanted to look into this initially, and I kind of came on a little bit later actually. But B because it's he's not an expert. That's the thing. He isn't. He's not an expert. He's not somebody fascinated by politics. So it's kind of seeing things through an average Australian's perspective of it when you kind of exposed to it and it was fascinating actually in some of the interviews where things that i realized i take for granted and you'd see it be described to christian and he's outraged at it and i went oh fuck of course mm. i've got past the point of being outraged by that mm. and that was the thing with politicians as well as how they generally just talk about this as if it's the norm they've accepted this as part of the game and so to see the outrage that people do have about it i think that's what leads to that general kind of lack of trust there so yeah it was it was great to kind of he's not only the love of this guy but just to kind of actually see that through his eyes is really nice i was outraged as well many times as well but there were some things that like you go shit yeah that is bad is it massively depressing as a result yeah no you know i only cry at uplifting things like i don't cry at sad things uh that's why you know huggies commercials really get me uh but (laughs) but it, it is the case i've watched this movie now fucking millions of times like to the point of just killing me and there are still bits that i cry at <laughs> like each time i watch them it's really bizarre and bizarrely there are different it's interesting there are different bits in the movie that different people who watch cry at as well which always i find really interesting so it's supposed to be in cinemas on the 16th of september now yep, i'm assuming and gladys is in charge of that it'll yeah. be fine <laughs> <laughs> so basically that means it'll be like what in Western Australia and Tasmania, you'll be able to see it in cinemas on the sixteenth uh, of yeah, September. What's the plan? South Australia? Are, are you going to be able to stream it or something instead? Yeah, or? look, I that that kind of stuff is changing all the time. You can kind of uh, follow Twitter and there's a uh, bigdeal.org is the website. I'll make it a bigdeal.org is the and, website. And we'll and we'll keep posting updates on the Chaser socials as well. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll I will tell you where it's going to be. Mm. Um, <laughs> it might be just yeah. might Do be you, broadcast by the Chaser Report. <laughs> No, Do you have the name of the movie yet? Oh, yeah, sorry. It's called uh, Big Deal. Uh, is that a democracy for sale? It's interesting you say that, Gabby, because we almost, we like, we literally didn't have a name for the movie until pretty much right at the end. <laughs> Titling everything is like, if you if you ever try and start the name, have a debate about names, mm. you basically, the it, takes, whole it takes days. You, yeah. The whole project stops. You yeah. cannot yeah. do that. You know, that's why, I presume that's why this is called The Chaser Report, because you're like, should we come up with a good name for it? You're like, no, let's no. not distract it. Something generic put it out. Well, that's yeah, why I was the name and move on. That's, that's why I was the war. That's exactly how I was named. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder why kids get named actually straight away. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> actually, it's true. The name Craig. My parents were just like, give up. <laughs>
<laughs> to think, know. imagine if they'd waited a week. You could have had a name like, I don't know. Tanya. Blastertron or something. <laughs> yeah. Blastertron. That would be a great name. Never, never reproduce, Gabby. Never reproduce. I don't, I don't plan <laughs> yeah. on it. When I watch Huggies commercials, I cry, not out of joy. Well, I'm looking forward to all the sort of laser battles between... Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. A oh lot of special God. effects in there. Yeah. <laughs> I've been paying attention in this interview. It, it actually sounds a bit like episode one of Star Wars, if you think about it. It's about <laughs> the, the Senate. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I was just like, I, that was me trying to go, what is episode one of Star Wars? So I was <laughs> yeah. like, lost totally. <laughs> that was one of the other problems with me directing was that I've never seen a movie before. <laughs> <laughs> It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Earlier in the week, uh, the IPCC, which is uh, the International... No, what is it? The Intergovernment Panel... <laughs> Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change. Is that right? Yeah, yeah you yeah, got yeah. the vibe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Anyway, it released this massive report, about 3,200 pages, I think. And, uh, I mean, of course, we've read it here at The Chaser, Um but, you know, just to, just to make sure we're across the details uh, a little bit more, we're going to get an expert to try and help uh, unpick some of the findings of this incredibly important report. Joining us now is Katan Joshi. Now, so it, the, the, the report is about 3,200 pages, isn't it? 3,949. Um, oh, okay. I obviously missed a few of the appendixes. But so wait a minute. And have you, I mean, we've, of course, read it here. Jace, of course, it's been riveting reading. But have you, have you read it all? I've read. So, so you get that what they do is they release this thing called a summary for policymakers. And it's like 30 pages. Uh, and that's relatively readable. You know, I read right. it. Um, it's the cliff notes. What we want from you is a summary of the summary. Uh, right. And I suppose top line question, I think this is the one we've on everyone's mind is, are we all going to die? <laughs> there's there's two answers to that question. Uh, so, th- okay, so this gets into some really um, existential and philosophical questions about how much we control the future. So I won't get into that, even though it's what I've been thinking about for the past three days. There's two parts to what the IPCC report is telling us. The first part is what's already locked in from the emissions that we've already re- released, right? Like two point something trillion gigatons since the mid 1700s. Uh, and that amount is going to cause um, an, an amount of warming um, that we know for sure um, is going to happen, right? Um, so they quantify that. They use physical science to quantify that. Um, and then on top of that, it's also worth noting, there's like momentum in the systems of like human society, right? Like, so it is actually true that you can't shut off the world's coal plants overnight um, because you actually need to replace them with something else. And it takes time to build a wind farm and a solar farm and, and, and you know, batteries and stuff. So, so what I'm hearing from you is that Barnaby Joyce has got a point and, 
and uh, is a totally in, in the worst faith that. possible and you know <laughs> arguing against a completely different point yes he does <laughs> um and so uh, but you know basically the the second story in the report is what we can still avoid right so um depending on how fast we reduce emissions it's like a completely linear relationship between how bad the impacts are right like it's it's um uh, there's a graphic in the summary that is just like uh, a scatter plot of like how much emissions, how bad are the impacts? And it's just like a straight line, right? Because uh, every gigaton that we don't release is um, reduced climate impacts. And so the physical science is actually being directed towards the future as well to say, um, okay, if we release a lot of more greenhouse gases in the future, um, what are the impacts? If we manage to curb them, what are the impacts avoided you know what or like and, and what's kind of still baked into the system so, so but but why can't we just sequester all that carbon like i got into a fight earlier this week with somebody who just went well hang on like why don't we just invent a machine that puts it all back in the ground like why is that so impossible what what what's the problem with that it's just hard to invent machines uh i mean you know like in the in the 60s and 70s we didn't have wind and solar and and, th- and those had to be you know basically developed um into technologies that was commercial enough that you could deploy them around the world really cheaply that happened that's an amazing thing but it was hard it was a really really hard process that happened over many decades from like government subsidies and deployments and fights about subsidies and fights about wind farms but, but is the is there a machine yeah there is a machine so the, the, there's two there's two ways you can suck carbon from the atmosphere the first is using a machine so you can like there's um some technologies in development um one of them is called direct air capture for instance right um and it's literally what it sounds like it's, it's getting carbon dioxide from the air capturing it and in fact in some cases you could potentially use it for stuff right because carbon is useful once you capture it um, so they're trying to also try and make it like into a commercial thing. So some companies are doing that. The other way you can do it is is what are called nature-based solutions. So um, the natural, like basically the respiration cycle of living things on Earth um, that photosynthesize, they actually consume carbon dioxide. Um, and so the idea is if you plant a bunch of extra trees, those trees will suck in more carbon. Um, but there's a huge, huge problem with that in that, um, first of all, that carbon stays right on the surface level of the Earth. Um, and secondly, you know, bushfires and wildfires, they burn down trees. Um, and we are so expecting the, more of those things. When the federal government sort of goes, oh, no, well, we're going to invest all the money in, you know, the technology side, like the carbon capture side, because that's how we can keep coal green. What, like, is that just bullshit, is it? Like, like that that's actually a really important, that's actually a really important distinction. Um, so you've described um, carbon capture, which is, um, there are so many different like types of categorizations, right? So what I was talking about just then was taking carbon from the atmosphere and trying to remove it. Um, yeah. Very hard, very energy intensive. Also very hard and energy intensive is if you... No, ha- it's easy. Just burn more coal to run the machines to capture the... Yeah. <laughs> you joke, but people are proposing this. It's like a real... Uh, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. That's a... that's a, <laughs> My blood pressure can't handle it this week. Um, what you're describing with the Australian government is, is carbon capture. So that's actually not taking carbon from the atmosphere, but trying to prevent it at the point of the, of the fossil fuel power station, right? So, so before it even gets released into the atmosphere, you have a machine, you have something added onto your coal plant that captures it before it actually ends up in the sky. Um, and then hypothetically, you could use that carbon to do something. So the only time that this has been useful um, and the only, currently the only sort of existing model of this working in the real world is when uh, oil 
um, and gas extraction facilities capture carbon in the process of, of extracting fossil fuels and then use that carbon uh, as a tool for extracting more oil. It's called enhanced oil recovery. Um, so the only current proven model for CCS um, commercially is worsening climate change by extracting more, more oil. So it's supercharging your oil world. Enhanced oil recovery right. does my head in. Like it's completely wild how um, they're basically trying to claim a carbon credit um, for worsening the problem. It's, it's so it's so it's so frustrating. Is there any hope then? Like it, it seems like it's all going to shit. All the graphs are going in the wrong direction. You've got all this ca- catastrophe. Where's the hope? Where, like what? Why should we just not give up? So so fundamentally, uh, I, I think there's something really important to remember. First of all, about history. So uh, what we're seeing very clearly now is that all of the projections from like the 2010s. Uh, were of coal, oil, and gas going absolutely wild, right? Like, you know, by 2020, coal would just be absolutely skyrocketing. So would oil and gas. Um, And we've actually avoided that future. Um, That is something that you don't see in the IPCC report because they're not doing like a historical, like socioeconomic analysis of how well climate action worked. They're basically just taking the physical science and saying, well, we did this and this happened. And if we do that, then this will happen in the future. But in the past, we've actually seen emissions can be avoided. Um, Australia's renewable energy target is a brilliant example of that because it just worked, right? Like it, it has avoided yeah. emissions. Yeah. Australia's emissions would be higher without the presence of that target or the efforts of everybody who brought it into existence and all the people who defended it. Uh, and that's been operating on a scale around the whole world, right? Like um, it's obviously not enough. We need to be doing way more of that. But the fundamental thing is that we know that climate action actually works to avoid emissions and therefore prevent climate impacts which would be worse today if we hadn't mm. bothered in the past. The same, of course, applies to the future, right? So um, if we try twice as hard, um, then, you know, we, we prevent even more emissions. And um, around the world, it's like a big power struggle. But uh, something I've really noticed, you know, over the past, like, say, six months, maybe even a year, um, the coal industry in particular is becoming really, really, really vulnerable. Um, coal power uh, has it has basically lost its financial viability, not compared to running new wind and solar, but even to building new wind and solar. So for like a decent proportion of the world's coal plants, it's actually cheaper to shut the coal plant down and then run wind and solar instead, including the costs of integrating wind and solar into the grid. So like, you know, power lines and batteries and all that sort of extra stuff. It's still cheaper to turn the off switch on your coal plant and then pay to build entirely new stuff and run it because wind and yeah, solar have just yeah. become that ridiculously cheap. But but so what so what's going on in the brains of well essentially the entire Australian federal government yeah who who are trying to prop up these they they're giving subsidies to to coal mines to expand. You've got NAB giving out sustainability loans to Whitehaven to expand their coal mines. Um, to to Newcastle Port to expand their coal ports. Like, what is going on? Like, in what way is that a rational thing for them to be doing? Yeah. So those obviously those subsidies shouldn't be happening, right? On principle, um, because you shouldn't be subsidising harmful activity. Do they not believe it? Like, no. I would actually put that in a really important context, which is that the reason that those subsidies are actually picking up pace, particularly over the past two years in Australia, is because the um, uh, the markets are supporting those projects less and less. Um, so uh, lenders, insurance companies, um, thanks you know, largely to activism and, and sort of pressure on those companies, 
uh, making those projects far less viable, which is actually why they need those subsidies, right? So the go- but of course, um, they're basically chasing- they've captured a part of the government, and they're just running down the timer on what the- whatever they can squeeze out of it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But but it's a losing game, right? Because uh, the realities of those markets is a- are actually beginning to really catch up. Um, coal in Australia is a really good example. Um, what we're probably going to see is coal plants actually closing earlier than their scheduled retirement dates uh, over the next sort of decade. Um, that is an extremely good thing um, in in terms of emissions um, because you want to remove the emissions. Like coal is just like a huge, huge chunk of Australia's emissions. But it's an extremely bad thing in the sense that there are communities like people who work whole in those communities, coal plants. Workers. Yeah. yeah. So um, basically what is happening is there's this idea that you can basically sustain coal for longer if you just kind of give it a government you know, intervention push to help coal stay in the system longer. But all it's actually doing is making those communities that rely on the um, like economic um, benefits of having power stations in their communities, it's making them more vulnerable to when it all kind of suddenly all comes home to roost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, so- and and look, those communities know it. Like the Hunter Jobs Alliance partly exists because, you know, th- that whole coal mining community, they know that it's rubbish, that it can go on forever, and that they, they're, they're much better transitioning to something else now with an orderly transition than to fall off a cliff in... 10 years time yeah so when we talk about like borrowed time that's that's it's not just on emissions you know it's for like the people who are exposed to a sudden and chaotic you know hit of reality catching up with all of the denial like that's um uh that's a real that's a such a huge risk um and there are a lot of good people you know who who work in like um coal and gas and like you know those industries who don't deserve to be like scapegoated um, or made vulnerable? Um, what should really happen is like the leaders of those companies and the governments should actually be stepping in and saying, "This is absolutely inevitable, um, but we're going to actually manage this decline to protect you." So, what what's going through the mind of the executives and things like that? Like, it, it, for people who actually control these entities, they're just like nobody. Like, what's like? Are they just evil? Are they just people who are? You know, just want to see the end of the world, or, or, or do they know that it's happening, but they sort of think that they can buy their way out of it, or they can go to Mars instead? Like, what? What is? What? What's your? What's the vibe? Yeah, some people do. I, like, obviously, the people who are sort of up top, they're 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 really they are quite evil. Like, it's a really sort of um, they they're very conscious of what they're doing, and they um, they very callously are aware of their own power and they know that they can basically delay action on this to their own benefit, even if it hurts people. Um, but, and then, you know, people often talk about like the sort of the worker side of like people who are like, you know, blue collar and like working on oil rigs and stuff like that. But I think there's an interesting sort of middle um, where, you know, sort of like mid-level like managers and, you know, mm. um, people like me who sort of work in like sort of comms and like, you know, things like that. Right. Mm. Um, white collar professionals, um, who uh, seem to be going through this interesting process of basically sort of convincing themselves to some degree. Um, And so you see stuff, um, you see it actually in a political level as well, where a lot of the content that looks like greenwashing or it looks like trying to convince the public of something is actually them trying to convince themselves of something. So like, you know, like those folks are probably reading those climate plans or whatever and being like, Oh, you know, I'm so glad that I work at a company that's actually de- de- dealing with climate change. I initially felt bad, but actually, you know, this company mm. is doing the right thing. 
I went on down this rabbit hole a few months ago looking at um, tobacco company um, internal comms. Like there's all these amazing leaks you get from like <laughs> tobacco companies um, and their internal comms are the same as their external comms, right? Like they, they, they're telling their staff, like, look, we care about health. You know, we're researching safer tobacco options and we actually want people to not smoke mm. cigarettes and like that sort of stuff, right? And you see exactly the same thing with fossil fuel companies and to some degree with like, say, the Australian government as well, right? Because they have um, MPs and senators who um, want to feel like they're doing the right thing on climate change. So you see like uh, Dave Sharma or um, Tim Wilson, like they'll sort of, post tweets about like how much they support renewable energy or how much Australia is doing really, really well on renewables, but they don't really engage with the huge gaps and the huge um, uh, problems with the, the government's climate policy, because you sort of, I, I don't know, I look at that and I'm like, I feel like they kind of just want themselves to feel a bit better about what's going on here. I just want one final sort of hopeful message, which is what is the one thing that we can do as ordinary people to actually do something towards this 3,900 page disaster document? Um, I mean, like often I give an answer that's sort of a specific action, but I think I just want to give a more general um, sort of answer about the way we think about this, which is basically that every ton of greenhouse gas emissions is avoidable. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I completely... You, it's okay to engage with grief and think about what we've lost and think about, you know, everything that was kind of, you know, failed to do so far because all the power imbalance was just completely against us for the past. But at the same time, recognize that um, we're actually far more capable of more things than we realize. Um, and a lot of, we have a pretty, we have a pretty decent long history of um, things that we've won. If we can just expand on that in the future and just keep that principle in mind, which is basically that we have a bit more control than we realize. And um, it's, it's understandable to feel helpless, but that's mostly because the people who are making this problem worse like it when we feel helpless. Um, so yeah, oh, yeah, just keep oh, that yeah. in mind when you're thinking yeah. about what you do. Keaton, Joshi, I admire your naive optimism. Um <laughs> And I, I wish you well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so this is it. We've reached the end of 2021. Um, from next Monday, we're going to have brand new episodes never published before with the original Chaser team talking about how we made the television that we made, the stunts, the stories, the accidents, frankly, the mm. serious body-destroying accidents in uh, Chaz's case. Yeah, and I, th I think... It's, it's fair to say that the next four weeks of podcasts are going to be some of the best podcasts we've ever made. Quite sincerely, we had an absolute ball recording them for you because we've already done it because we want to have a holiday in January. Mm. And <laughs> I reckon it's going to be a lot of fun. So wander down memory lane and let's face it, it's going to be a much better way to spend January 2022 than talking about January 2022. Yes. I suspect. Our gears from Red Microphones are part of the ACAST Creator Network and we'll catch you next year. Have a happy new year, but you won't. But try. See ya. Is that bye the bye message bye. we want to leave it on at the end of the happy podcast? New year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Woo. Can you put in some fireworks sound effects, Lachlan, to Woo. pretend that we're being cheerful? <laughs> actually, you know what? We've got six weeks of holiday. That is actually exciting. Starting now. Okay, I'm just going to open a beer. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.